Good morning and thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Estate Agents Podcast. I'm joined as ever by my colleague Stephen Brown. Morning. And Luke St. Clair. Good morning. Good morning, gents. Today we've got a very special guest, a gentleman that um, has always achieved high fees, excellent market share, um, and has some great insight into the industry. Mr. Peter Rowlings, could you give um, our listeners a bit of an introduction as to yourself, please? Sure, of course. Good morning, all. Um, uh, my name is Peter Rowlings. I was, well, I've been in the industry for about 30 odd years, which seems ridiculous. Uh, I was MD of Foxton's. I was at Foxton's for 20 years, MD for seven, and then I bought and built and sold Marsh and Parsons. Uh, exiting beautifully timed in 2016, quite by <laughs> chance, but aren't I lucky? <laughs> I, bet, I bet you're delighted. I really am. <laughs> and you're enjoying yourself now? Very much. Yeah, I really am. I'm doing exactly what I want to do, um, which is rather nice for a change, rather than uh, schlepping up the A3 every morning at quarter to six and getting home at 8.30 every night, which wasn't quite so much fun. Fantastic. So you mean to say, Peter, that agency's not nine till five? <laughs> I tell you what, it never was. When I, when I joined Foxons in 85, and this was the big thing about Foxons, I went from nine till five, five days a week, till nine till nine, seven days a week. You worked mm. either Saturday or Sunday. And uh, uh, that was, that's how we did it. That was how we stood out from the crowd in, that, in those days. So let's jump on the Foxtons thing, if, if, if I may, because obviously you were terribly prolific there. Foxtons um, are, I think it's fair to say, a bit of a Marmite brand. You either love them or hate them. I think if you're a buyer, you probably hate them because you do squeeze every penny out of your buyers. If you're a seller, you love them and you're happy to pay the two and a half percent. I'm a massive believer in fees, Peter. Um, I uh, myself charge uh, market leading fees in my area, two percent. Um, average in the area is probably about one. Yeah. Um, how, how do you manage to get the two and a half percent at Foxton's? What, what was that culture? What does it look like? Well, everyone thought we did it because we could, because we were so big and, and, um, and you know, brutal. Um, but in the early days, uh, we weren't at all big. We were literally, when I joined, we, we, we were two offices. I think it was just a, a complete, um, what's the word, a blind um, uh, um, sort of, I don't know, what's the word? Um, we, we just weren't allowed to. We, we said to our, to our managers, to our people, we are t- two and a half percent. And if, if you cannot negotiate on that and it gave, it empowered them. It empowers people to tell them, I'm sorry. No, is the answer. You have to fight for it. You can't just roll over and say, all right, we'll match the other guys at one and a half or one or 1.2. It is a race to the bottom. And, and I know if Foxton's even now reduce their fees, I can't believe there can be that much more pressure on fees, but it would just mean that other people went lower still. And that was always the problem on the very, I remember once we did it when we opened Battersea in about 1993 or something. And the manager there said, uh, I need to reduce my fees to one and a half percent for a bit or 2% actually it was because we were two and a half. And, and guess what? Every other agent was, was then who was, who were two and we were two and a half went to one and a half. And so it's a race to the bottom. If you, if you reduce your fees, the less good competitors reduce theirs even further. I'm glad you mentioned 1993. It's the year I joined the industry and I again feel young. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so people often say, Peter, in the absence of differentiation, people will always buy on price. And, and obviously you had that fixed mindset there with, with Foxton's that you weren't going to enter into that rat, rat race. So 
what what does differentiation look like for Foxtons? How were you able to demonstrate that you were two and a half percent and you know, Bodget and Scarpa down the road were one percent, but they were one percent for a reason? Yeah, I thought you were going to say Green and Co for a second there. <laughs> no, I'm sure Green and Co were very good on their fees. <laughs> yes, um, I'm sure they were. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. It's not just differentiating on price. You cannot differentiate just on price. Well, you if you if you market yourself against your competitors just on price, well, you're kidding yourself. You're just like all the rest. You you have to provide a better service. And in those days, as as I've already mentioned, Foxtons was working a lot harder than than other agents. Um, we, we used to have a saying, you know, we'll go to war for our clients. We absolutely knew who our client was. Our client is the seller and we would squeeze the last penny out of the buyer. We didn't, we weren't there to be liked. We really weren't. <laughs> and, uh, that won't surprise our competitors. Uh, that's, that wasn't our raison d'etre at all. Our raison d'etre was to, was to be the conversation of topic at a dinner party when people said to them, said to their, their friends, I tell you what, we instructed Foxtons, and my God, they are brutal. That's what people want. They don't want to love their estate agent. And if a estate agent goes out to be loved, he or she, I think, is missing the point. They want their agent to go and find themselves the one person in the market that's going to pay the most amount of money. If you can do that, as I tried at Marsh and Parsons, and I hope succeeded, as well as providing a charming, nice, helpful service to both buyer and seller, it's an absolutely winning combination. But if you just go out there to be charming and nice and a bit creepy and, <laughs> and ugh, uh, yeah, too nice, then again, you're kidding yourself. Okay, so tips on negotiation um, to negotiate to get the best price for their for Vendor's biggest tax-free asset. What tips can you share with the audience, please? <laughs> Blimey. Uh, I, I genuinely haven't sold the house for about 25 years. <laughs> I, I wasn't. I mean, uh, I always say I'm an estate agent because I'm proud of it as being a estate agent. It's in my passport, estate agent. Um, uh, and, I, and I think we all should be proud of being estate agents because it's a fantastic, brilliant job. But um, I, I think the number one thing is the use of silence. Um, agents so often just blather on and they talk themselves out of deals. So if you can be... Um, really aware of the power of silence when you put something forward or, or announce something, shut up, zip it, and see what the reaction is. So often I've heard people go on the phone saying the offer is uh, this, uh, and they say, I know it's not very good, but, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, uh, and so that's, that's number one, I think. Okay, lovely. Thank you. So you talked about going to war for your sellers. Um, you know, what else would you be doing to go to war? Well, I think, um, I think the, the power of a, of a, of a managed, uh, time management scheme within an office is, is essential. It was, it was the most dramatic thing we ever did at Foxton's and I introduced it. It wasn't my idea, but I introduced it when I became MD in 97. Um, and it was literally uh, ensuring success. I used to, I used to, I used to say that we ensure you're going to be successful. If you follow our regime and it was a regime, you will be successful. And we increased the turnover from 10 offices, which I took over in 97. Uh, we did that. We did actually add two over the next three years, but we increased the turnover, get this from 10 million to 40 million pounds. Now, of course the market was with us. Yep. But, but really what did that is we, 
ensured that salespeople were doing what they were good at at various times of day. If you, if you allow salespeople to just, to just do what they want, they will, and they'll do two or three appointments a day, max, and they'll faff around. And so we ensured nine till 12, two till four, call out. Uh, 12 till two, viewings, four till eight, viewings. That's how we did it. And it worked unbelievably well. And for those who think it's a bit sort of um, childlike to insist that your salespeople do things what they're good at at various times of the day, Again, uh, I think they're missing a massive trick. You then went down or you had a, decided to have a client center. Yeah, yeah. How did that, did that make a difference with, with the structure? So you still had the people on the front line making the calls um, between nine and 12 and you had the client services to um, back it up? All the client services did was call old clients. Um, yeah. we had, we, eventually we had central reception uh, uh, that that uh, coped with all incoming phone calls, because once again, a salesperson, you know, if if he or she is really into something and the phone goes and it's a client, um, it it's disrupts their their line of thought and their and their concentration. So all they did between nine and twelve was make outgoing phone calls, phone calls that they definitely were going to achieve something out of, assuming they get hold of the person. If they're dealing with surveyors or people wanted to pick up keys or stuff, it, it, it makes it far less efficient. So uh, as a manager, for instance, what I used to say is that the manager will see a property and not get it because they're not ready to sell. If they're not going to get it because they're two, week, two weeks off finishing a bathroom, they keep it. If they're not going to get it because they're not ready to sell, it would be plugged into client services. And client services would follow that up relentlessly for as long as it took. And it is relentless. We had 108 people in Chiswick Park at the height of the market when it was really, really, really busy, uh, following up in teams of 10, um, following up uh, religiously every day, calling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, checking whether they're right to come on the market for sales and letting. So your client services was essentially a prospecting machine working yeah. daily. A follow-up machine, a follow-up. It, it was never cold calling. It was warm calling. We were never okay. calling people out of a phone book. We were always calling people uh, who had, who had uh, dipped into Mar to, to Martian Parsons. We had the same at Martian Parsons, frankly, um, <laughs> but I had 16 people. It was slightly smaller, um, but at, uh, who'd, who'd dealt with, with Foxtons. And that's why, you know, the, the, the systems, the operating systems and the, and the absolute um, urgency to, 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 to get people's details. We used to find people that didn't get two mobile numbers and an, uh, two phone numbers and a, and a, um, um, an email because contacting them in the future is completely essential. And so many people just bother with one mobile, no address, and it's just ridiculous. What was the fine? <laughs> I've forgotten probably <laughs> covering the office late or something like that. Because, you know, it, not everyone works till eight o'clock every night. You know, it, it, they, work till, they work till seven, I suppose. And then if they haven't got any appointments, they go home. I remember the good old days, Stephen. I think I um, forgot a set of keys on an accompanied viewing for a well-known high street agent and rocked up to the office on Regent Street and had to uh, undergo the dog leg of doom. I think that was the kind of fine and punishment of the time. And that was, um, that was getting a knuckle in the ribs or a, or a knee on the thigh as I was running to the key cabinet trying to uh, extract the keys that I'd forgotten foolishly and delayed my viewers. <laughs> you North London lot, you're so rough, honestly. <laughs> that was Norfolk. <laughs> that was Norfolk. Yeah, that was that was Norfolk. I think, um, Luke, 
you've got a question you'd like to ask? Yeah, so um, something I'm keen to try and understand is um, obviously recruitment's a big, uh, sometimes a big uh, Achilles heel within a state agency or recruiting the right people. So what were the things that you were looking for when you were recruiting for for colleagues to join that kind of culture and structure within Foxton's and Marsh and Parsons and, and, and what were the processes that you would go through? Well, it was huge recruitment. Um, I mean, uh, both at Foxton's and at Marsh and Parsons, we were growing so quickly. Um, <clears throat> what we did at Foxton's and I tried it a couple of times, I did it a couple of times at Marsh and Parsons, we used to have um, sort of drinks party interviews, um, which sounds crazy, but three times a week, uh, at seven o'clock in the evening, I interviewed uh, between 20 and 30 people. Uh, and they all came to the head office. They were in a room. Uh, I was in the room. They were given a glass of wine or a beer. And I worked the room, uh, chatting to individuals, to groups, finding out what made them tick. Um, when they came to the office, they were photographed, literally a headshot. Then one by one, they went out to five or six three or four um, directors for a 10 minute interview, no more, 10 minute interview in a room. Um, <clears throat> and at the end of the evening, we've stuck all their photographs up on a wall and uh, we uh, decided who's got chances. And either they came back for a second interview, which was Marsh and Parsons, or at Foxons we hired them. Uh, and that was it. Uh, I got fed up with sitting in, in an, an interview with someone, well, the person appearing in an interview and I, and I knowing within two or three minutes, I was never gonna hire him, ever. Um, but this was volume, so I'm not saying people should do this these days. Um, but, I, but I do think you should um, enable yourselves to, well, you should certainly have a telephone interview first because there are people that you know, you, you know damn well. They may be very good people, they may be good in some businesses, but they won't be good in your business, they won't fit into your culture, and culture's really important, so if you, if you hire uh, people that won't fit into your culture, um, uh, you're, you're, again, it's a, it's a problem. But, so, but really uh, try and ascertain before you waste 45 minutes of your time. And I think you deserve people giving people, if they come and see you, half an hour to 45 minutes, if they're going to fit. Peter, I want to unpack the culture thing because many people said Foxton's, it was a one-off, it was unique, it could never be replicated. Um, you, you know, they, they, they broke the mold when it, when it came to, to fees and client service. And then uh, Peter Olin stepped aside from that and, and, and Martian Parsons um, essentially uh, reinvigorated and, and, and uh, emulated exactly the same thing. So how is it that, that you can create that culture I tell my team it's mindset, um, particularly on, on the fees element. But how, how have you taken the very best of Foxton's when people said it was impossible and recreated that with, with Martian Parsons? Well, thank you for saying so. I hope I did. Um, when I left Foxton's, I left because I'd sort of, I'd, I'd, um, I'd become rather disillusioned with it. It had, it, had, it had turned from my point of view, and don't forget I was there 20 years, um, from a rather sort of... Um, attractive uh aggressive but but fun company into a rather sort of surly teenager it was um it was just a bit it was a bit too much i felt and i i felt it had lost its soul so what i wanted to do at mmp and i've alluded to it uh, uh, earlier that uh, i wanted to combine fabulous service with with some really pushy punchy estate agency that's what i i'm, I'm I, I, I don't, 
I don't like to lose. I don't want to be second. Um, you know, it's just, it's in my nature. So that, but I don't want to do it by pissing people off. Um, and so if you can combine the two, and, and at Foxons, I thought <clears throat> they got a great result, the vast majority of the time. Uh, and I noticed that's in the past. I've no idea if it's, if it's still the same, but I'm not sure people enjoyed the experience. There are some other companies in London that people love the experience, but they haven't got a clue if they get a good result because they're just dealing with charming, nice pinstripe estate agents who they think, oh, they're really nice people. Um, and I, I don't think that's the point. So in terms of the culture, the culture has to come from the top. And it's not just me, uh, but it is me. I, I, um, uh, you, you gather around yourself like-minded people, uh, not too nice, not too horrible. You get rid of people uh, who are anti-culture and, and the best people in your business, the best salespeople in your business can be anti-culture. I've got rid of people that, that I would, we, would, we had a board, a sales board, a monthly sales board um, for the whole, whole business. And, and a number of times I've got rid of the person on the top of the board because that person was stopping other people doing business because he or she was, was poison, was a poison in the, in the business and, and they need to go. Um, but a very much hands-on culture. I used to visit most offices, certainly at Foxons, most offices every week, um, uh, one way or the other. I used to have a Friday starting at seven in the morning in a car, in a car with a driver and I'd get around as many offices as I could uh, till eight o'clock that night. So very hands-on. At, at Marshall Park, I'd have a weekly sales meeting at seven o'clock on a Friday night um, that the whole company had to attend at, at Foxton's. Uh, at Marshall Parsons, it was a monthly sales meeting at six o'clock on a Friday night, the last Friday of every month. And it was a fantastic culture building um, meeting that everyone came together. It was, there was, everyone, I've heard written or, or said before that it was a sort of, it was a name and shame meeting and it was vicious and that we were nasty it couldn't have been more different to that. It was really positive. It was lots of celebration. If someone had nothing to shout out and literally they sat in a room of 250 people and shouted out their figures, what they'd achieved that month with me at the front and someone else typing it into a board. So they, everyone saw it. Uh, there was no hiding place. And let me tell you, if they shouted out nothing that month, I wouldn't say you bloody idiot. I would say uh, hard luck, better luck next month. And I'll tell you what, because they didn't want to come to that meeting shouting out nothing next month, they would work like you wouldn't believe. So they had something to shout out. It was very, very positive. And then uh, a happy hour afterwards, an hour in the bar, all paid forward by the business, um, getting to know your colleagues, getting to know people from across the business, bringing it all together. Uh, if you just have a little um, silos of offices that, that, um, that never meet and never, never uh, chat to each other, um, then the culture is, almost impossible to create. I love that. And I picked up on something you said there. I worked with um, a very inspirational guy and, and friend, Simon Klo over at um, Spicer Heart many, many years ago, who instilled in me that second is the first place of a loser. Oh. Are you a loser? Oh. And we used to love those sales meetings. They were incredibly, <laughs> uh, but, but uh, it takes all sorts, doesn't it? It, it yeah. takes all sorts. So what tips do you have? Um, you mentioned, I know it's been several years since you sold property. You've been in the, the uh, management infrastructure, but what tips do you have for agents in a challenging market, Peter? I'm hearing, um, you know, Brexit this, nobody's buying, applicant registrations are down. Um, it's tough out there at the moment. Um, I, I think I probably know your response to this, but uh, for our listeners... <laughs> Well, 
there's been, t I mean, there's been tough markets throughout history. You know, I've been in it 30, 35 years. I've, I've been through some miserable bloody times. Um, uh, and I think you've got sort of go, go back to basics when you, uh, and this might sound old fashioned to state agencies, but I don't think this business has changed too much. We've had lots of bits to come in to help us. The internet obviously is the big one. Uh, email, I mean, <laughs> when I was, when I was uh, growing up, we didn't have email. And I think um, some of it is, most of it is incredibly useful, but like, it, like all technology, it's only useful if you use it in the right way. So I would say at the moment, you have to get much, much, much closer to your buyers and sellers. And by closer, I mean, you speak to them. Uh, I think these days, so many people click on the reply button on an email rather than pick the phone up. And it, it is, you're faceless, you're anonymous. And so you have to find a way of stepping out. Now, I know a lot of younger people, and I'm talking probably millennials, 35-ish, uh, 30 to 25 to 35, don't like speaking on the phone. Well, send them an email saying, I'd really like to talk to you. Can I call you? you know, rather than get their permission to call. But if you don't call, you've got no chance of creating that, that um, uh, connection so that they do want to speak to you. Because if you don't call, you're just like any other estate agent. Uh, if they won't speak to you, then take some time over that email. Make sure it has some character in it. Make sure it makes a little joke. Make sure it's a memorable email. Make sure it's beautifully written. Make sure it doesn't have typos. Jeez, the stuff I get is unbelievable. And, and if someone spells my name wrong, I almost delete the email before I've read it. Not quite, but almost. Because they don't get it. If they can't even get my name right, they don't care. And care is the big one here. If you're buying or selling a house, it's a big deal. And, and as agents, we forget that. We think it's just another, they, they can only afford 120 grand or only in London, it was only, they can only, they've only got half a million quid for Christ's sake, they're paupers. I mean, wow, people tend to judge, uh, well, they get involved in what they do and judge people. Uh, and if you get close, uh, you've got real chances. What do you think of video, Peter, as a way, I mean, I, I... I get the whole contact. I mean, obviously we're recording this podcast and it will go out in audio format, but we're recording in video because I think it's nice to be able to look at, um, look, look at who you're talking to. Um, one of the things I think Stephen um, started it quite, uh, quite, quite early on last year was I started getting video messages when he'd seen something positive that I'd done within the community or he'd seen something. I, I found that really invigorating and then looked at how I could replicate that in estate agency business so when everybody's sending texts and faceless emails i've sent a quick video message on whatsapp after i've left uh, a client's house what's your what's your take on video and personalization uh, that way well i i like it actually um i did a video blog uh, for several years at mmp uh, i didn't there were times i loved doing it and and at times i really didn't didn't know what i was going to talk about so i sort of rather blathered on and and i and i didn't enjoy it but um i think it ha you have to be really careful because um people will judge you on a video and uh you've got to be pretty good at it it's got to be done properly it's not just sort of holding your holding your phone uh in front of yourself i don't think um and it's got to be done with a bit of uh, um quite slickly or else it comes across as a bit cheap and creepy Video is okay for you because um, that's why myself, Stephen and Luke do podcasts. We've all got faces for radio. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, um, training. Yeah. So uh, incredibly important. Yeah. Um, 
what training did you do for to welcome new starters on board and then how has it continued throughout um their journey yeah um training really is important and and uh, at both foxons and mmp we didn't do a dmp to begin with because we weren't big enough but you have a week in training um and you spend a week in head office um the first thing and it comes back to the culture thing their first uh, entry into the business is they have the joys of me for two hours um, and it is not just hi there how are you doing it is a two-hour presentation about the business about uh, where it started where it's come from what our culture is what's acceptable what isn't acceptable um, <laughs> in my day uh, I, I I couldn't do this now but I did I said uh, I banned beards uh, you weren't allowed to have a beard um, I banned brown shoes in, in, with dark suits in central well, in London. Uh, I, I would send people home if they didn't shave in the morning. Uh, I, they came in with stubble. You and David uh, Pollock. I, I was probably. I banned, <laughs> I got really pissed off with people if they had a, if they had a tie on and their top button was undone. I, I, and I know it sounds like I'm a pain in the ass and I probably was, but <laughs> everyone knew exactly what was expected. And there was no, there was no gray area. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back down on it. And so, you know, it was almost, I did it for effect almost, um, uh, that, you know, this is the way we do it. And if you, if you don't want to do it, well, fine, bugger off. I, I don't care. It's up to you, but this is the way we do it. And, and it's like, you know, it's like, um, it's like modernizing a house. If you modernize everything in a house, but don't change the, 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 the knobs in the kitchen, Everyone looks at it and thinks, well, that's why didn't they do that? Yeah. So it is an attention to detail and it is a, it's, 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 um, it makes people aware of what's expected. And going on then training, uh, they'd have a week uh, getting to know the systems, getting to know the people. I'd have presentations from business leaders, leader of lettings, leader of property management, new homes, all that sort of stuff. And then going on, um, they would come back in probably once every quarter for an update. But, you know, you don't pop out after a week as a fully trained estate agent. You know, that, that's, that's not it. It's experience and it's being um, associated with an office and um, being mentored by either a the office manager or, a, um, or a, a senior negotiator, learning the tricks of the trade, listening to what they say. Um, uh, but there's nothing like on the job training, is there? I don't think. No, I agree. And would any of the managers um, go out with their team just to see, you know, how capable they were on viewings, um, if they were going to become a lister, how they could improve on their listings? Would that be something that you would do? Uh, definitely. Uh, now, I'd love to say it happened a lot. I, I don't know is the answer. Um, I, it was something I talked about a lot, um, getting out, seeing what they're saying. They're probably talking too much. Um, um, but I don't, I don't, it's a really good idea. I, uh, and I did, we, we did, um, want to do it, whether we did it or not, I don't know. Okay. Peter, you're a man that, um, many within the industry, including myself have looked up to over the years. Um, you, you've been uh, quite inspirational and achieved uh, great things. Where do you see the industry going over the next, uh, I would say short to medium term, five, five to 10 years? Um, <clears throat> well, um, it's <laughs> well once we get Brexit out of the way it'll make it a little bit clearer uh, in London especially the stamp duty issue is a massive one um, uh, and I know I, I can't just all London's what I know so it's sort of I've sort of got to talk about it a bit um, 
stamp duty is a massive issue and, and, and volumes are down. You know, let's face it, as estate agents, we don't really give a monkeys about prices. Um, all we care about is volume. If things are selling, great. If they're not selling, it's a massive issue. Um, I think purple bricks, I think underestimate, the, underestimate them that you're, <coughs> at your, it's dangerous to underestimate them. Um, uh, I think they, they, they certainly disrupted the market. They got 20,000 properties on the market. So uh, they've definitely disrupted. Whether they can make money, I'm not sure. Um, and I think they'll have to push their prices up. Um, um, but it sort of reminds me of foxes in the early days. Everyone hates them, everybody. But the difference is, I, I haven't seen their numbers, so I don't know, but I would be surprised if they can make a lot of money um, on the fees they have, although obviously the add-ons are a lot. Um, I, think, uh, I think fees will generally, this, this is going to sound counterintuitive, I think they will increase because I, um, I think there'll be a resurgence of smaller, probably, probably smaller agents. Uh, I think some of the big, I think Countrywide will break up, um, probably. Um, I, I can't quite see how it's going to recover from its, from its predicament at the moment. Um, well, uh, and they've got some great brands. But I do think smaller agents who will provide a fabulous service and who don't just just gauge themselves on the fee they charge. They gauge themselves on a brilliant service, um, a, a local brilliant service, and the ability to find buyers and negotiate with buyers. And let's face it, uh, pre-right pre move, finding a buyer was bloody difficult. Um, right move now really levels the play, play, playing field. So you know, you, if you're an agent, you shove something in right move, you've got just as much chance as anybody else if people are looking for that sort of property. Um, so. Uh, I think uh, we will see some smaller agents come through um, and I think they'll grow obviously, but I think um, uh, as long as they charge a proper fee and I'm talking at least one and a half percent, at least um, I'd be at two and I think you're at two, which is, which is great. Um, uh, then I think people will, will become demoralized and disillusioned with paying 1% for really not very much um, and, uh, and elect if they if those people make a name for themselves in the locality elect to pay a little bit more for a much better service brilliant peter thank you so much you've been an incredible guest <laughs> um as andy said you know i um don't know if, it, if i have a pleasure of coming up against you when you were um foxton's um that was maybe a bit dubious um but i've you know, I admire everything you've done in the industry, um, what you achieved at Foxton's, um, what you've achieved um, at Marsh and Parsons. I think it's absolutely incredible. And um, we're so grateful um, for you giving us this time so early. And I know you're flying off to do a spot of fishing shortly for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so um, thank you. Um, you've shared loads and loads of top tips as well. Um, and I agree for me, it is, you know, you talk about going back to basics and, um, yeah. agency and agency is not rocket science. Um, and I think there's so many distractions at the moment. Yeah. You know, I know you're involved in Viewbar and, um, hearing a lot of good things about Viewbar as well. So I wish you success with that. Thank you very much. Um, but I think it is just for basics that people need to focus on, you yeah. know, gains, just little things that you pick up. And I'm, and I'm a firm believer I'm reading um, James Clear book at the moment, Atomic Habits. Oh, yeah. Very good one. And yeah, very good. 
very good. So again, he talks about um, tiny changes having remarkable um, differences, and you've got no Novak Djokovic who talks about marginal improvements and having huge impact, and yeah. you know just little things that you said today. You know, just the two the two telephone numbers. Um, you know, just something like that. You just pick on something like that that can make a big difference. Um, the structure. You know, people were so easily distracted um, and having, you know, Green and Company, we have the Greenway as well, yeah. where we had the AM and, and the PM, which yeah. I'm sure we ripped off and duplicated yeah, yeah. from Foxton's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, thank you so much for your time. Um, Andy and Luke are incredibly grateful as well. Mm. So thank you. Um, Andy, Luke, anything to add? No, just uh, reiterating your the appreciation there. Thank you very much for your time, Peter. I've got lots and lots of notes here Good. that um, I'm going to be digesting and uh, putting into putting into action and see what we can adopt. And certainly impressed with the 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 culture that you talked about within Foxtons and Marsh and Parsons. So very uh, very appealing and very inspirational. Good, thank you. And I'll, I'll add one final thing. It's all about consistency. You do it for a couple of weeks and think, oh, bugger this, it's not working. Again, you're kidding yourselves. You've got to do it for a quarter, at least, probably a half year, and then decide whether it's working. Yeah. yeah. Peter, it's been fantastic. Stephen, I remember when I first met you five years ago, um, you said something that really resonated with me that, that Peter has, has borne through today. Uh, you said, Andrew, if you make a 1% difference to your daily routine and keep that consistent over 365 days, you'll be over three and a half times better come the end of the year than you were at the start. And I think that that has been resonated with me. Um, so uh, really appreciate your time, Peter, and um, look forward to perhaps having another podcast when we concentrate on, um, on Vuba. Okay, that would be good. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Enjoy the fishing. Thank Bye. you. Bye.